morning, Cedar Creek Church. How are we this morning? That was really good, guys. This is going to be fun. This is good. Uh, if I haven't had the pleasure to meet you, my name is Jordan Nates. I'm the Center Point Director here at our Banksville campus, which is our middle school and high school ministry. And I am super excited. As you know, if you come on a regular basis, uh, I am usually not up here preaching. Uh, I have the opportunity, our, our lead pastor, Philip Lee, is on vacation. So I have the privilege and the honor to bring God's word to you today. And I'm super excited about it. And so I, I'm excited. Uh, but before we get started, we are doing, we've been doing a series called The Defining Moment, talking about how the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the defining moment in history. But as believers, it should be the most defining moment of our lives. And so we're gonna conclude that series today. But before we do, I wanna ask you, is this a safe place for me to make a confession to y'all this morning? Is this a safe place? You can just lie and then you can judge me after I say what I say. But there was a time in my life where I hated country music. I know, I know. For the Northerners that are in here, they're like, amen, brother, we hate it too. But for those that grew up here, that's almost like blasphemy. You're almost wondering like, how is this dude even in ministry and he hates country music? But there, there, was, there was a time like my, my wife Lauren and I, when we first started dating, it's her favorite kind of music. And so she'd want to play it. And I'm like, I do not want to listen to that. It's terrible. And then I'll let her use my car. And as a joke, she would leave it on our country radio station as loud as possible. And I literally just wanted to punch a hole through my radio and just throw it out the window because I was that mad and I hated it that much. But something happened a few years ago where we went to Nashville and we got to go to the Country Music Hall of Fame, which if you've never gotten to go there before, it is awesome. And as we're walking through all this historical stuff, it was almost like I got saved. Like it was like a salvation experience where something just clicked and I love country music now. Like you could play it and I'll turn it up and I'll sing it as loud as I want. But here's the thing about country music. And I noticed this the more and more that I listen to it is I'm singing these songs and I'm enjoying it. And I know you're shocked to hear this, but just by looking at me, you can probably tell that I don't fit the mold of the person that most country music songs are about. I know that's super shocking. If you talk to me longer than five minutes, it's really not shocking because I'm not someone who's super outdoorsy. I don't fish. I went hunting for the first time in November. I drive a 2011 Toyota Avalon. I know that's the definition of rugged right there. Uh, but I just don't fit the mold. And it's so funny because I'll sing these songs and I'll enjoy it so much. But if you look at my life and you look at the words in the song, they don't match. And it's important to think about because the same thing, I believe the same thing can happen in the Christian life. Like if we're honest, we've gotten the opportunity this morning to come and to worship and to sing songs. And I know if I'm honest with myself and you're honest with yourself, that there are times where I'm either sitting where you're sitting or I'm up here leading and I'm singing the songs that are, and singing the words that are on the screen and the words that are on the screen being sung and my life don't match. Like if we were honest, there are times where I'm sitting in God's word, I'm reading the words on the pages and the words on the pages and my life don't match. And this is important to think about and, and to really dive into for your life because as we've talked about, the death and resurrection of Jesus should define every part of who we are. 
It doesn't just define our lives when we're here on Sundays. It doesn't just define our lives when we're in home group. It doesn't just define our lives when it's convenient. It is to define our lives all the time. And so as we continue to talk about this idea of of Jesus's death and resurrection defining our lives, I want us to talk about this and know this, that Jesus's death and resurrection defines what we have been saved from and what we have been saved for. It shows us what we're saved from, but it also shows us what we're saved for. And if I asked you this morning, hey, what did Jesus save us from? We could answer it like that. He saved us from hell. He saved us from eternal separation from him, from the relationship that we were created to have with him. But if I then asked you, what did Jesus save us for? I don't think we would answer that question as fast because sometimes, I know in my own life, it's unclear at times what we have been saved for, what is God's will for us to do. And so with the short time that we have this morning, I wanna dive into what Jesus has saved us for. And I wanna do it in a very famous passage. It's Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. So if you have your Bible, you can click there, you can turn there. But, but this passage, it's known as the Great Commission. It's Jesus's final words to his disciples. It's after his death and resurrection, he's meeting with his 12 disciples and he's giving them his final words before he ascends back to heaven to be with the Father. And we see him say, and give this command in verses 19 and 20. Jesus says this, he says, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, "'baptizing them in the name of the Father "'and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, "'teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you.'" And so as you look at that, I want you to underline the word disciple. Because that word, back in Jesus' time, the word disciple was a term used for somebody who was a, a student, a learner under some famous rabbi or teacher of that time. They were a follower of that person. And so what they would do is they would sit under the leadership of that rabbi, of that teacher, of that individual. And not only would they learn the teachings that they would give, but then they would take the knowledge that was in their heads and try to apply it to their lives. And the same is true for us. If we are gonna be disciples of Jesus and we're gonna dive into what that means, if we're gonna be disciples of Jesus, it's the same thing. They are somebody, a disciple of Jesus is someone committed to a life of continuously growing spiritually in Jesus. And so if we look at what we've been saved from, yes, we have been saved from eternal separation in hell, but what we have been saved for, we have been saved for a life of spiritual growth. If we're looking at what Jesus has has saved us for as a disciple, he has saved us for a life of spiritual growth. And as disciples of Jesus, we are committed to spiritual growth in him and not just in our lives, but as the scripture we just looked at in the lives of other people. As as we grow closer to Jesus, we, we grow closer to him in our relationship with him. But in the way that we live our lives, we help others grow closer to Jesus too. And this call that Jesus gave, it begins in this passage that we just looked at in Matthew 28, and his disciples took it and did it, and then they did it, and then those people did it, and those people did it, so on, so on, and so on, that we are here in Aiken, South Carolina, and we have the opportunity to be able to know the gospel, to know the good news of Jesus, and to make it known to the world around us who is desperately in need of Jesus. And so this morning, if we are called to be disciples, 
who live in such a way where we are committed to spiritual growth, then we probably should know what a disciple is, right? Like if we're called to be disciples and we're also called to make disciples, then what is a disciple? I wanna ask the question, what defines a disciple of Jesus? And there's three things that I want us to look at. The first thing is this, a disciple of Jesus is defined by their head. They are defined by their head. A disciple of Jesus is known for their head because they make the mindful decision on a daily basis to follow Jesus. And I think sometimes it's so easy for us who are Christians or we've grown up around the church, it's easy to think that the decision to follow Jesus is a one-time decision. It's something we make when we filled out a card, we repeated a prayer, and we think that's it, right? But it's actually a daily decision. We, last week, we got to celebrate baptism, right? The, the, the outward expression of the inward work that Jesus has done in our lives, that's what baptism is. And sometimes it's easy to think, I know in my own life for a long time, I thought, hey, baptism is the finish line. Once I'm baptized, I can kind of do whatever I want because I'm good. I got my get out of hell free card, like I'm good to go, right? But honestly, baptism is not the finish line. It's the starting line because we are committing that decision to follow him initially. We then commit to follow him each and every day of our lives. And I understand by talking about following Jesus or being a follower of Jesus, I understand that in our culture today, the word or words follower and follow have a different meaning than they did back in Jesus' time. Because today to be a follower of somebody or to follow somebody we automatically think of a button that we press on social media to be able to get all the content we would want on a particular person. Whether it's a relative, whether it's our favorite celebrity, whoever it is, we can press the follow button. We can send a friend request. And right then and there, we can have all the information that they're willing to give to us about who they are. And, and with this, there, this requires no effort at all, right? It's just the pressing of a button or the scrolling of the thumb. And so follow Jesus, this is completely different than what it means to follow Jesus because it requires effort on our part. It requires sacrifice on our part because it required effort and sacrifice on Jesus's part to give his life to make it possible for us to live for him. And so listen, all throughout, all throughout the gospels, Jesus defines what it looks like to follow after him. But there's one passage in particular I want us to look at in Mark eight thirty four, and Jesus says this, If anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In this passage, Jesus says to follow him is much more than just the pressing of a button. In this passage, we see that to follow Jesus is much more than the scrolling of our thumb on a screen. It is a call to deny ourselves and to die to ourselves which if we're honest, that's really hard to do because we want the show of life to be all about us. Like if I'm being honest, Jordan Nates that's up here, Jordan Nates wants what Jordan Nates wants, when he wants it, how he wants it. But as we see, Jesus is saying that we have a decision to make on a daily basis. We can make the decision to make our lives all about ourselves and put Jesus in the back seat or We can follow him by denying ourselves and making it more about him. 
And I know it's easy to read this passage and to think, I know I, I thought this when I was growing up, to read this passage and to think that this is gonna lead us to follow Jesus in this way. It's gonna lead us to a joyless and self-hating life. It's really easy to. But I want us to know this morning that that is a lie straight from the devil because the same life, the same joy, the same love that Jesus experienced through his death and resurrection, when we choose to follow him, we experience those same things because we are now not living for ourselves, but we are living in the relationship with God that each and every one of us was created to have. And so a disciple of Jesus, if we're gonna define what they are, they are known by their head and they decide to follow Jesus daily. And as they do, we also see that they are also defined by their heart. The more we decide to follow Jesus, the more like Jesus we should look in our everyday life. It moves from our head and it moves from the heart. And we see all throughout the scriptures that every time someone has an experience with Jesus, that they walk out looking very differently than they did walking into it. And it's because the call to follow Jesus leads to change. It's a change where we should be looking less like ourselves the more that we follow after him, and we should be looking more like him. And to quote John the Baptist in John 3.30, that we live our lives in a way that, that we realize that to follow Jesus, that we must decrease and he must increase. And my prayer for my life and my prayer for your life is that the more and more that people look at me, the more and more that people look at you, the less of you and the less of me that they see and the more of Jesus that they see. And to talk about this, this leads me to the question, whether you've been following Jesus for a week or you've been following him pretty much your entire life, what has changed in your life now from when you initially gave your life to Jesus? Like what kind of change has there been? How does your life look different than it did now? How does it look different than when you first put your faith and trust in Jesus, in your desires, in your thoughts, in the way that you talk, in your actions, in your view of other people? How does it look different? Because I believe more often than not, there are many, many people who proclaim to follow after Jesus, yet their lifestyle has not changed one single bit from the time that they were living before Jesus. And for us to think that is okay, for us to think that is normal, is completely missing the point of what it means to follow after Jesus. It would be like this, I'll give you an example. It would be like this, we, you guys come in, we sing the songs that we did, Greg comes up, gives the welcome, then we sing some more songs, the bumper goes, the cool little video that Walter made, and then the lights come on, and instead of me being up here, I'm not here, okay? So you guys sit here 10 minutes, still not here. 20 minutes goes by, still not here. 30 minutes, you guys have just been sitting, you, you waited, you really wanted to hear some teaching this morning. And finally, I come out looking the exact same way I do right now. And I'm like, hey guys, you're not gonna believe this. I was on the way here, hit a flat, I got a flat tire. Hit some kind of bump, got a flat tire. It was crazy, got out of my car to look at it and out of nowhere, boom, I got hit by an 18-wheeler. 
It was insane, guys. I'm so glad to be here this morning. Uh, what would you think if I said that? You would think I was crazy. You think we need to, Danny needs to reconsider who's hanging out with your middle school and high schoolers here, right? And it would be foolish because if I had that experience, there would be evidence of it all around. One, I would probably die. I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm going through that and making it out alive. But if that happened, body parts would be where they're not supposed to be. There would probably be some blood, right? Like there would be evidence of that experience that I went through. And for us, it's the exact same thing. If we have had an experience with Jesus where he has opened our eyes to who he is and what he has done through his death and resurrection, there should be evidence, some form of fashion in our lives of that experience that we've had. And in our lives, we have to live in a way where we're seeking to grow. We're seeking to be transformed. We're seeking to be changed by Jesus so that we become less like us and more like Jesus. And I understand this morning, it's easy to talk about this stuff. It's easy to read about this stuff. And I know what you're thinking. You're like, this is easier said than done, right? Like it's easy to talk about this, but it's a completely different story tomorrow morning when the alarm clock goes off. And so how practically can we, what are ways that God has given us to be able to continuously change on a daily basis? And there's three things. This is in your notes, but I encourage you to write it down. There's three things that God has given us to help us to change. The first is this. We have God's voice. We have God's voice through his word, the Bible, right? It's crazy to think that the same God that spoke all things that we see and don't see into existence is the same God that wants to speak to us through his word and how often we neglect that. But this could look like reading the Bible. This could look like a Bible study on your own with other people. This could be scripture memorization. This could be meditating on scripture, right? God is speaking to us and he wants us to listen to him. And through listening to him, through diving deeper into his word, it leads to us being changed. So we have God's voice and we should long for it because it leads to the growth that a disciple is supposed to have. The second thing is this, God's ear. We also have God's ear. Not only is he speaking, but he wants us to speak and he is giving us his ear to listen. I want us to do just a quick audience participation, real quick. Think about what you had for breakfast. Even if you didn't have anything, it's fine but I want you to think about it, okay? I'm gonna count down from three and I want you to just say all at the same time what you had for breakfast. You ready? All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. This is what I just heard. I went three, two, one, and that's what I just heard, right? But if we're honest, listen to this. God heard each and every one of you which is crazy to think about. And it's the same thing in prayer. Like if all of us were like, hey, let's pray. And all of us started praying to God, it wouldn't sound like, but he would hear each and every one of us and he would meet us in each and every situation that we're in, which is crazy to think about that the God of the universe wants us to talk to him. We have the opportunity not just to listen to him, but for him to listen to us too. And so this could look like us bringing the things that we're worried about to him and the requests that we have. This could look like praising him for the things that he's done in our lives, proclaiming who he is in our lives, journaling, fasting, silence and solitude, right? It's an awesome opportunity that God gives us on a daily basis, wherever we are, no matter what we're doing, we have the opportunity that we can speak into God's ear. And I know you're thinking the same thing that I thought for a really long time. It's kind of like that blind date that you go on. It's like, what are we gonna talk about? 
right? Like we're going to be sitting across from each other. What are we going to be talking? And it's the same thing with prayer. It's like, okay, I know I should pray because as we see in scripture, it's not something that's optional. Jesus says in Matthew 6, he doesn't say, hey, if you pray, do it this way. He says, no, 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 when you pray. It's not optional. He expects it to be something that's in our lives. And so when we do, we have to think about, and this completely changed the way I think about prayer, is that God has already started the conversation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so prayer is essentially in light of what, who Jesus is and what he's done for us, we're just responding to the conversation that God has already started through him. And so we have his ear. Lastly, we have God's body, the church. And I tell our students this all the time, that, that the Christian life, to be a disciple, is not a one-man sport, it's a team sport. We are better together. It is not something that we do on our own. So this looks like something of what we're doing right now, Sunday morning worship, where we come and sing songs, where we hear the preaching of God's word. This looks like home group for adults. If you're not plugged into a community and home group, I would encourage you to do so. It's changed my life and I know that it will change yours. For students in here, middle school and high schoolers, we have small groups for you too. Community is not just something for adults, it's for everybody. And so we have that on Sunday. So if you are a middle school and high schooler and you are not a part of a small group, please come and talk to me after the service because we wanna get you connected because we realize that through these things, whether it's home group, whether it's a student small group, whether it's just serving and the number of different areas that we have as a church, we understand that God's body allows us to grow in our relationship as his disciple because we're challenged to grow through his body and we're held accountable to grow too. And so a disciple is defined by their head because of that decision that they make to follow him daily and the more that they do it, our hearts are to look less like ourselves. It, it, it's a transformation where Jesus works inside and it doesn't just stay in the inside. And this leads us to the last thing that a disciple is defined by. They are defined by their hands. A disciple of Jesus is defined by their hands because Jesus, yes, he works in the head and hearts of his disciples, but it doesn't just stay inside. It flows outside into our actions. And there's a number of different passages. I have two of them that Paul talks about what this process looks like. Galatians 2.20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Also in Ephesians 2.10, Paul says this, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do so. Underline that word workmanship if you're reading, because it's a reminder that we are not saved by our own work. We are saved only by the work of Jesus Christ. However, in light of Christ's work, we are led to do, do, we are led to do good works. That's what it leads us to do. It's not from a place where we're trying to earn God's love. We have God's love through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so us doing good works, it's an overflow from the love that God has shown us in Jesus. We have been saved by God's love so that we may share that love with other people around us. And so this looks like for us, the way that we use our time, something that's super precious to us. I know it's precious to me. The way that we use our time the way that we use the talents and, and the areas that we're super passionate about, the way that we use the things that we own, we use them in a way where we are sharing the love of God with the people that are around us. And this begins to change the way that we see our homes. This begins to change the way that we see our neighborhoods. 
This begins to change the way that we see our schools or our workplaces or our communities because now they become our own personal mission field to make the name of Jesus known through us. And so disciples are known and defined by their hand because their life's goal is to know Jesus and to make him known. And this happens when they begin to make that decision to follow Jesus, experience the transformation that begins to happen in their heart, and through that, their actions reflect Jesus while living on mission with him. And I know this morning, it's really easy, like we can talk about living a life committed to spiritual growth. And this may inspire you. And that's awesome. This may challenge you. That's awesome. But I also know that if we're honest, this looks completely different on Monday morning when the alarm clock goes off and you're starting a new week. I understand that the narrative begins to change when you're by yourself late at night scrolling and surfing on the internet. I also understand that we begin to second guess the truths that Jesus has for his disciples when we're face to face with a group of people that we know are far from Jesus. We lose sight of the promises that we have when we feel burned out by all the things that life's bringing our way. We feel burned out because our plates are just stacked way too high. I also understand this morning that what we see as better in Jesus begins to change when we fall into that comparison trap with those other people that we may see on social media or that other married couple or that other family, the way that they run as a family, right? When the rubber meets the road, to live our lives in this way, where we're defined by these things, is very hard. It's not easy to do. And I know it's easy to read this passage, to read this command that Jesus gives us. And we can look at it and see it as a daunting and impossible task for our lives. And I wanna tell you this morning, that's not a bad thing to do because it's true. To try and do this on our own, to live our lives in a way where we're trying to be defined by these things as a disciple of Jesus in our own power, it is a daunting and impossible task. We cannot do life by ourselves, And this is why around this commandment, the verse before it and the verse after it, Jesus gives us two promises that he gives to each disciple. These two promises where he doesn't just send us out and we're by ourselves doing it, but he gives us these two promises that are true no matter where we are, no matter who we're talking to, no matter what's going on. The first is this, his power sends us out. His power sends us out. Look in verse 18, Jesus says this. It says, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. We are sent out to live our lives as disciples by the power of Jesus. And so if we think about the gospels, what does Jesus have power over? There's a number of different things. There's sickness and disease. There's demons. There's nature, winds and waves, he calms them. This is one we don't think about a lot, food, right? Like Jesus has power over food. He multiplies bread and fish. He turns water into wine. And ultimately, Jesus has power over the greatest threat, over the greatest enemy that we could have in sin and death. And that same power 
that rules over everything, over all those things I just mentioned and more, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead not only lives inside of us as believers through his Holy Spirit, but it is the same power that sends us out. And so instead of having to rely on ourselves and having to rely on our own power, we rely on his power. We rely on his authority that has power over everything. And we don't have to do it alone because he's always with us, which leads me to the second promise that Jesus gives us. That not only does his power send us out, but his presence stays with us. Look at what he says in the last part of verse 20. He says this, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Which this is super encouraging because it's not like God just sends us out and just gives us a swift kick and he's like, good luck. But he sends us out in a way where he stays with us every step of the way through his Holy Spirit. He is with us no matter where we are. He is with us no matter what conversation we're having. No matter how big the odds seem stacked against us, He is with us and he is there to comfort us, to empower us and to guide us to live our lives as his disciples. Even if the entire world today turned its back against you, you still would not be alone because Jesus promises to always be with us. And so this morning, My prayer for us is that we would be comforted by these truths. That we would be comforted by the promises that Jesus gives us as his disciples that he promises to send us out by his own power. That he promises that no matter where we go, no matter where he calls us, no matter who he calls us to, that he's always with us because he stays with us by his presence. And not only that, my prayer for us as we leave today is that we would be challenged to live our lives in a way where we are defined by nothing more and nothing less than the death and resurrection of Jesus in light of its truth that in the world today, in the year 2021, that we would be known by heads that are seeking to follow after Jesus daily that we are known by hearts that are continuously being transformed by Jesus. And we have hands that are open wide, seeking to live our lives on mission for the name of Jesus Christ. And so with that, let's pray. God, this morning we come to you thanking you for the gospel. God, we thank you for the fact that you saw our need for you and you delivered it. You delivered your son to take our place, to live a perfect life, to take our place and to die for the sins that we have committed and we will commit. And God, I know it's easy We can come to church, we can sit down, we can take notes, and it's easy to hear the gospel week in and week out as believers, and we can lose the awe and the wonder that it should produce. 
that our hearts almost grow numb to the realities and the truth and the freedom and the life that only you can provide. And so God, this morning, I pray for those that are already living their lives as disciples of Jesus. People who are living their lives by their head, making that decision, being transformed by you, living on mission for you. God, I pray right now that we would receive the gospel right now with the same desperation and the same need for your grace that we had the first time we made that decision. God, I also understand that just because we're in church, just because we sing these things, just because we read these certain things, God, that doesn't mean that all of us in here are living for you. It doesn't mean that all of us have made that decision to turn from a life about ourselves and to turn to make our lives about you and to live our lives as your disciples. And so God, this morning, for those that haven't had that experience, God, for those that have not made that decision, there is no better day than today to do it. God, let no one let this moment go by without committing their lives to you. God, I pray that you would open their eyes, open their hearts to see you for who you are, to see what you have done for them and that they would see the fullness of life, the fullness of love, the fullness of joy, the fullness of peace, the fullness of freedom that only you can give us. And so God, this morning, we love you so much. And it's only because you loved us first. And we pray all of this in your name. Amen.